the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's Business Leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Good day. Market maker, Vladimir Putin. That's kind of where we're at right now. It seems that some of the future stress of the Russia-Crimea story may have come out of the market. As Russia said, you know, we needed the security of this. We're done. Thank you very much. Will that be it? Markets like it so far. SP 500 is up seven. That's up one third of a point. Percentage point. The Dow's up sixty. That's up one third of a percentage point. Sitting at sixteen thousand three hundred seven. The Nasdaq's up twenty one. Sitting at forty three oh one. SP 500 close to its all time high. Nasdaq's doing well to get back to those two thousand. Uh, Elevation levels, per se. Housing starts fell, but permits rebounded. That is the big economic news of the day. And that's about right. You know, I think that's where we want it. It's kind of Goldilocksian. And you've got to be careful when you start using terms that are so generic. But uh, you're looking for the trend. Housing starts fell for a third straight month in February, but the permit's staying high, offering some hope that the housing market, as it struggles currently to get through a little soft patch, that it's going in the right direction. The Commerce Department, I believe, they said today that groundbreaking slipped two-tenths of a percent to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 907,000 units. Keep in mind, when you're talking about home building and you're talking about 907,000 units, some homes get old and get destroyed by fires, by earthquakes, by you name it. So maybe it's not as much new addition coming on as we want it to be. So we also saw that January's number was revised, 11.2% decline, suggested underlying weakness of the housing activity, you know, started it with that drag of cold weather that we had. So the permits are important because when you get a permit, you're basically sending your construction guy down to City Hall, or maybe you're going down to City Hall. You're putting your name on a piece of paper, the house, and you're saying, I'm going to do some additions. And what that means is future work. It means future uh, road activity, maybe on your block. Maybe it means, again, when you see activity and this is probably my, my dumbest lesson I can teach you, financially speaking. Don't be one of those people who think the stock market's going to hell in a handbasket, because if you see activity, you know that there's something already wrong with that. 
but when you see economic activity on your street, you know, whether it's a, a pickup truck or some wood beams being delivered or sand and gravel being dropped, that's stuff that's being consumed. And it, it, when you get permits, that, that activity is coming. You typically need to get approval to build things months in advance. So economic activity is coming to the housing market. So that's good. The Malaysian plane story, I have no update for you. There you have it. Other big stories of note today, uh, Walmart's in the news. I know, it's always fun to look at Walmart because they're so big. They're in the news in large part because they're expanding their trade-in for video games. And that's instantly bad news for GameStop. Now, Walmart plans to expand its video game trade-in program to stores, offering store credit for thousands of video games. The world's largest retailer plans to let video game owners trade in used video games. And in Walmart and Sam's Clubs for store credit, but not for cash. Previously, they offered trade-ins on a more limited basis online. Gaming continues to be an important business for Walmart. They are actively taking aim at the $2 billion pre-owned video game market. It's, again, I don't know if you can pull this off with your children. If you're going to have a video game console, getting the last generations is almost free. You can get an old play, uh, Xbox or PlayStation 3, dirt cheap. Those games are dirt cheap, too, because they're not cutting edge. So if you can convince your kid, like, hey, let's meet halfway. If you want the game system, that's fine. Here's the rules, though. I'm sure Gears of War is still very, very playable. Is it as playable as the new Titanfall? Probably not. As in Best Buy yesterday, picking up a hard drive, and uh, sure enough, <laughs> kid in front of me was like, ma'am, ma'am, just being this annoying jerk. And Mom had to, had to get him Titanfall because he needed it. Did he want it? Sure. But did he need it? Absolutely. So here's a little bit weird story. Showing you the power of brands, and as an investor, if you learn that, you're probably one step ahead of everyone that you know. Peanuts. And when I say peanuts, I'm talking Snoopy. Chad Brown and the Peanuts gang are taking another crack at the big screen. It's been a long time since they've been in a movie theaters, but they're bringing it back. The bald, round-headed kid, his dog Snoopy, Woodstock, whatever that thing is, um, bringing back a movie franchise for 2015. So the 1980s had the Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back. So that's a franchise that I, I don't know. I have no pulse of the American child today. Do they care or not? You know, I was recently thinking about my thesis that I've got this thesis that, you know, Disney's a great company for the long term because our parents watch Disney. We watch Disney. Our kids will watch Disney. Our kids' kids will watch Disney. And a lot of it gets recycled. You get Mickey Mouse from 1950s, there in the 60s. Mouse is there in the 70s. Mickey's still there in the 80s. You get the idea, right? But then I got started thinking, I was like, they've got some franchises that are never going to age, but like they haven't paid Cinderella in 80 years, but she, they still 
dance her out, per se, on new on DVD, Cinderella. And it has me thinking that some brands are kind of dying within Disney. And I, I think I have to revisit a little bit. Um, I don't think a kid would sit through Old Yeller. I don't think a kid would sit through some of those Disney films. And I know Old Yeller's not at Disney. Escape to Witch Mountain and things that I had as a kid that I loved. Um, I, I don't know if kids would sit through non-animated. So, and again, they got Pixar, which I have to imagine Toy Story has held it, hold up pretty well. But will Planes? Probably not. Um, so they've got some franchises that, that are, are starting to fade, some product per se. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. Kathy Lee Gifford is starting her own line of wine. Makes all the sense in the world. She's famous, so not famous, but she does the day drinking thing on the Today Show. So she's going to, again, you know her from sitting uh, with Hoda, Kathy and Hoda. Booze Day Tuesday, Wines Day Wednesday. So look at the brands. She's got this brand where she's like a, a day drinking mo- uh, mom. Snoopy. I, I get Snoopy on insurance. I, I get the beloved characters, but I don't know if we need another movie. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Got an event coming up shortly, a couple Thursdays from now. You can learn more about it in Santa Clara at robblack.com. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. One of the things I try to do in the morning show is show you trends and show you product and show you how Wall Street really works. Once you get the idea that the 90s were dominated by Intel's marketing of the Intel processor inside, Intel inside, and it kind of made you feel ghetto if you didn't have the Intel inside and you had a Cyrix chip or an AMD chip. A lot of money was made on that ad campaign for investors. There's a a subtle shift, and we're, unfortunately, in the Bay Area, we don't always see it because we're so close to the shift. Tech companies are creating product that, that can really drain assets of our economy. Now, they can also make things really productive. But when you start taking jobs out of people, that's an asset that, that may not come back. So, like, for instance, Google's driving cars. Um, I see that, self-driving cars, as say goodbye to taxi cabs. I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I see fewer jobs for people who would say, you know what, I'm going to be a cabbie, I'm going to make it that way. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. The S&P 500 up 11. The Dow's up 101. Big day. NASDAQ up 30. Welcome in. CFP Chad Burton talking retirement issues. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. 
financial planning, you have to take into account inflation. Inflation is a dirty word in the world of financial planning. It's something we don't like to talk about, but you have to expect everything's going to be more expensive in the future. Therefore, you have to save more now, and you have to make it work more than inflation over time. Fair? It's fair. And, you know, people, you can't just start a plan and then forget about it and think that, oh, automatically my inflation is going to go up or my income is going to go up to keep up with inflation. Even though you can run simulations assuming that um, in real life the way I see it work, Rob, is like the, the first 10, 15 years there's actually a lot of inflation. Costs continue to go up. But when people get to their 80s, they aren't traveling as much. Um, their inflation really is in the healthcare range. Any healthcare expenses, we always assume five to six percent inflation. So it's really kind of a maybe three to three and a half percent in the first fifteen years of retirement, and then two percent on normal expenses. Healthcare costs always run in at five to six percent, and you can't set up a portfolio that just automatically bumps up with inflation, right? Right. You have to continually run financial planning and cash flow analysis reviews to say, okay. You know, I'll get a call that says, okay, I, I need a bit more money to keep up, so here's my certain costs that have gone up. And, you know, if you don't have a plan that says every year we're comparing our net worth, we're comparing our portfolio performance versus the projections, um, we're, we're comparing your expenses versus the projections, as long as everything's on track, go ahead and bump up and pull a bit more out for inflation. But if you're behind... You might, you know, I might have to tell somebody, no, you know, things, things have, you're spending too much money, you're spending more than we projected. Um, or, oh, hey, we've gone through a period of extremely low interest rates, so the bond positions aren't projecting or kicking off as much income as projected, and you have to be realistic about, you know, whether it's okay to bump up with inflation, but you have to project that inflation in there. You project inflation, but you also project things that are unexpected. Right. Which, that's tough to project. Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly, and I'll, I'll put a hand on a Bible right now, tell you, I don't see myself ever in a nursing home. Yeah, everybody ha- that's ever been in a nursing home said that. Okay. Everybody. And you get to a point in life where you either aren't capable of making the decision because a lot of nursing home has to do with memory issues, Alzheimer's, dementia. So you don't know. Um, you're you're yeah, not in control fair. anymore, unfortunately. My yeah. grandmother was in a nursing home environment. And my mother's been in some in long-term care, yeah. in and out. And she'll eventually probably need to go in, or she may die. But it's that, that piece is actually pretty easy to, to project because you get to age 70, and there's a 60% chance if you make it to age 70 that you're going to spend some time in a nursing home, and the average stay is, is 2.7 years, and the average cost is anywhere, depending on the, on the state that you live in, 60 to 100000 a year. And so you have to simulate, do run a simulation. This is if one of you goes into a nursing home for three years, is there enough money for the survivor? If not, should you buy long-term care? Unfortunately, 2013 was a year where everybody raised their premiums. They got rid of spousal discounts and priced most of America out of long-term care insurance if they're over age of 65. Um, So... When should you buy long-term care? You should start shopping at 55. 55, okay. So if you're 55, you're on track for retirement and you still have extra income, and you can buy the insurance and still be on track for retirement, then buy it. Okay. You said the average day is 2.5 or 2.7 years? 2.7 years or so, yeah. 2.7. Just say three. Okay. Should we only buy policies for three, given that the average... You used to be able to buy a lifetime policy, Rob, where if you go in and for for 20 years with Alzheimer's, no more. Every now... But now everything's segmented. You could buy one year, two year, three year, five years. Six years, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's also types of policies where and it's really only right for people that are sitting on you know, hoarding cash where you can 
put it into a type of life insurance policy. And it's only right for people that are hoarding cash because for an investment, it's not that great. But you can say put 300000 into a life insurance policy that you know would pay your heirs 600000 if you die or pay your long-term care expenses to 600000 so there's there's options like this, these these quasi options that are available for people now. Okay, topic kind of over, but I have one more fun question for you. I recently ran into a guy who's got a healthcare insurance policy, healthcare insurance, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he gets twenty percent off his policy if he does blood work every year. So if he agrees to do blood work, and they can kind of figure out if he's got some sort of cancer disease that they could treat early. So he has to agree to it, but it gives him a massive discount. Do you, right. do you like that idea, and do you ever see that coming potentially to long-term care? Like, I think I think even the the idea of some sort of a uh, medical planning that's available, everybody is they're trying to push for the preventative medicine. Right. So that's why nurses and nurse practitioners are going to be very busy trying to get people to be healthy. And you know, you have to go into reti- if you go into retirement not healthy, your first goal when you retire is to get healthy. I mean, otherwise your retirement is, number one, going to be miserable, filled with doctor's appointments. It means talk to some people. Their full-time job is going to the doctor and scheduling their appointments and taking their pills, and that's a horrible way to live. Seriously. I horrible do. way that's to live. That's not attractive because uh, let's just say one big long word in retirement, men, doctors, and the word would be colonoscopy. Ouch. Yeah, no fun. No. <laughs> you, do not, you do not want what they do to old people on a regular basis. <laughs> Anyhow, and anyway, it's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Going to be talking with the one, the only Patrick O'Hare coming up in the next segment. Talking stock market, talking economy, talking Russia, talking some of these plays out there to help get you to retirement. I still see a bull market. I still see this as an opportunity to invest for the long-term patient person. We're going to be doing a 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning event coming up in Santa Clara, Thursday, March 27th from 6.30 to 9. So if you're heading towards retirement, got enough money to think you could live till the day you die, this would be a good event for you. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. of financial interest in the success of New Focus Financial. AM 1220 KDOW. In your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, I asked the question what Crimean crisis? Is it that simple that a little positive news there? The market jumps big this morning. 
Well, uh, the market is certainly uh, suggesting it, it uh, doesn't matter that much. Um, it's really kind of interesting, and the, uh, the move I think we saw yesterday was really driven by the fact that the advanced fear-based billing of you know, hard-hitting economic sanctions has yet to come to fruition, and so the market took that uh, lack of a negative development as a positive and, and ran with it in terms of those uh, participants who had been short going into the weekend probably, and so they were uh, fearful about being caught on the wrong side of that trade. And, of course, we've seen the continuation move today uh, because uh, Vladimir Putin told the world not to worry. <laughs> so um, it's amazing how quickly the sentiment has turned. But, uh, you know, I, I think that what he did, though, was basically – ratchet up the pressure on uh, President Obama and other Western leaders to uh, save some diplomatic face here, and we'll see how they respond. But uh, we don't think this matter is over just yet, but the market is uh, taking it at face value as a, an encouraging development, and, uh, and therefore we've got higher stock prices. I think it's fair to say that you and I get approached by a lot of people saying, does this market still have legs up? Is it a bubble? When's it going to crash because I want to buy? Um, and you always start like, well, what, what's your time frame, and you know, right. how upset would you be, and uh, you know, do you are you freaked out by what's happened in Russia? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, what I'm getting at is we have to build cases for people, and the economy looks okay, and mm-hmm. to me that that's good enough for a start. How, how's the economy looking for you? What's some of the cases you're building right now? Right. Well, you know, coincidentally, I, I did update uh, Briefing.com's market view uh, last Friday, and the title of that piece was still practically positive. Right. And the piece at the end of 2013 for my 2014 outlook was uh, basically, you know, a practically positive outlook for 2014. And what I was driving at is that this term we hear about, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, right? That's kind of a cliche. Okay. And we boiled it down really to saying, look, we have a, a practical view of the market based on a fundamental uh, framework, right? And that framework included earnings growth, which at the time was projected to be up 11% for 2014, was likely to be revised lower, but still remained positive. It has since come down to about 8.8% growth. We were expecting real GDP growth to be about 2.5%. Uh, we think that could be closer to 2%, but nonetheless, not out of the uh, realm of what's become normal. Uh, we thought overall CPI would stay below 2%. We saw today it's now up 1.1% over the last 12 months. And we felt that long-term interest rates would press higher gradually, but not sky past 3.5%. So taking those fundamental issues into account, uh, we felt that it was reasonable to, to, to look for an expected return of 6 to 7% this year, including a dividend yield of 2% uh, as a positive, a practically positive outlook for 2014. Notwithstanding my own concerns about some of the near-term issues that we've talked about, Russia, Crimea, things that are going on in China, uh, uh, some of the spotty economic data we've seen that suggests things are not just slowing down because of weather related issues. Um, you know, some of those things would create some near-term turbulence, but overall, the fundamental framework still would argue in favor of suggesting that the stock market could have another positive year in 2014. And so, as a market analyst, you walk that delicate line, like you say, of, you know, the audience you're addressing, figuring out what their time frame is and whatnot. But if we look at it from just kind of a longer 
uh, viewpoint, um, you know, there is a fundamental basis to think that the stocks can still go higher here in 2014. There's a study out this morning that basically says 36% of workers have less than $1,000 in savings and investments that could be used for retirement, not counting their primary residence. Um, when I see numbers like that, I think it's actually going to be worse because people don't really take into account inflation and how that erodes even the $1,000 that they have, and it erodes Social Security. What's your take on inflation and what we need to walk away with? Well, right now, you know, inflation is um, very well behaved, if you will. It's actually what we're seeing is disinflation. If you're, you know, the the trend that's unfolding in front of us is more worrisome from the standpoint that it could continue to disinflate and eventually lead to deflation. Um, so we're not seeing, you know, real strong inflation right now, and and the component that is necessary to really drive that pickup in inflation would be, you know, increased wage growth that's going to be, you know, occurring coincidentally with an improving labor market, as well as a pickup in lending activity. Uh, you know, as banks loosen their spigots and start lending more money, then you get more turnover in the economy of that money, which uh, is you know, necessary to create that uh, what's called escape velocity for the economy out of this sort of new normal rut we're in of about 2% growth. And when money starts turning over more, you are going to see higher inflation rates. But uh, right now, you know, bank lending is very reserved for the most part, uh, and wage growth is still very limited for the most part. And so you're not seeing that flow through into into higher prices right now. But I think to your point, Rob, you're right, is that uh, from a retirement angle, um, it will catch up to people who, you know, don't have a lot saved, certainly, and it will be a negative over the long haul here as, you know, there's some issues that obviously need to be addressed with Social Security reform uh, and those issues that present themselves by virtue of the fact that a lot of people don't really have enough money saved to fund their retirement after they're not working anymore. You brought up something a little bit earlier, and I'm speaking with Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com, that you said you updated your market view for briefing. And you write the page one pre-open analysis, and it's incredibly helpful. It's it's where I start my day every day uh, to kind of get a feel for maybe I can kind of take it easy today and be more entertaining, or maybe I have to be a little bit more hardcore financial. But when you said you updated the market view for briefing, would you – would you say – help me a little bit with the theory of briefing.com. Is it sure. meant to be an organization? Is it meant to be a, a bunch of individuals? What would you – give me a little bit more on – you gave, you said, here's the market view for briefing. Is that fair? Because there's like the swing trader. He may think you're right. a Yahoo in the corner office. No, you bring up a good distinction is that, you know, it, it, it really is um, it dependent on the type of service that our subscribers are subscribing to, right? So our, our briefing trader service, if you will, is, uh, is um, staffed by a number of experienced traders who have their own viewpoints, and they're not, you know, looking at the longer-term investment picture like I might look at. Um, you know, they're looking at swing trades, uh, scalp trades, uh, momentum trades, if you will. So, you know, they're speaking more from a market view standpoint, speaking more to what's going on in the trading day and what might happen in the very near term that's going to help position our subscribers to that service to capitalize on that activity. Um, what I would, what my role is when I write a market view for briefing.com. It's, it's addressing more of this uh, organizational view for the longer-term uh, conservative investor. 
um, not the not the day trader, if you will. But what I do with page one is, is like you say, I have a, a daily missive that kind of speaks to what's going on in the here and now and how to think about it. Um, I also write what's called the big picture column. I publish it every Friday, which kind of gives our readers uh, across all of our platforms some perspective on how I'm viewing uh, economic developments and market developments and how they relate to the market view that I, I publish on a, uh, an update on a quarterly basis. So that's sort of the, the shorter-term window into getting a sense of how my view uh, and briefing.com's view of the market for longer-term investors is changing or or evolving on a weekly basis based on what we're seeing unfold in front of us uh, on the earnings front and the economic front. Now, briefly, because we have about a minute, uh, give us something you're working on that isn't in the headlines that we should be paying attention to. Well, I, I, I'm going to disappoint you, Rob, <laughs> but I have to watch the FOMC this week. Um, you know, we obviously need to see what happens there with what they may or may not do in terms of changing their guidance. Um, you know, that's going to be a big issue for the market and how it uh, thinks of Janet Yellen's chairmanship uh, and her position on things. Uh, but clearly, uh, the market's not bothered at all by the idea that the Fed funds rate is going to be changed anytime soon, and that's uh, that's a very important consideration that's acting as an underpinning factor here. With the Fed Reserve, is that part of your thesis that as long as they play nice and keep monetary policy accommodative and there's no massive inflation building up, that the market can go higher? It is. I mean, you know, you don't have a, an extremely overvalued market. You have low inflation. You have low interest rates. The, you know, the Fed is at the zero bound, and they're basically telling people, you know, go in, you have to buy stocks, you know, for, you know, basically to boil it down in simplistic terms. So that is one of the theses there, but what we're also making sure our readers understand is that not to uh, not to forget about risk management along the way because uh, that type of consideration with that low interest rate policy can push some areas of the market certainly to speculative excess, and that could be very dangerous if you don't have proper risk management strategies in place. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Marketing Analyst, Briefing.com always given us a nice perspective on how to approach the markets. Uh, very smart guy, and I think he speaks very normally, and I, I, I appreciate that because our audience, we don't want Wall Street to kind of talk us down to us like we're children. Anyway, um, you can find me online at robblack.com. You can find Briefing at briefing.com. They provide independent live market analysis of the U.S. international equity markets and much, much more. We'll take a break here. Be right back. Lots of long slowdowns out there in this Bay Area update project.
Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. One of the things I really want you to start thinking differently. Last segment I talked about how one-third of workers have less than $1,000 saved. That's not enough. I don't feel good at least until I have two months to six months of expenses saved in cash for an emergency. And I only use it in case of emergency. We Too many people are living paycheck to paycheck while they're enjoying HBO, cable television, new clothes, a new car. You know the new car smell? Everyone loves the new car smell. I hate the new car smell. You know why? It costs money. But even more importantly to me, it's toxic. Something that smells like that isn't because it's clean. It's because it's got a lot of manufactured stuff on it. So I'm not a big new car smell kind of guy. So if I had a pregnant wife, I certainly wouldn't let her in a quote-unquote new car smell. Anyhow, um, I always want to try to get you to think a little bit differently. Just a little bit. Sometimes I want to shock you. And I got put in front of my boss last week, and he said, you shocked me. Don't say that word. Don't say this word. And that's, it stinks, because on one hand, I could be, you know, General Motors recalls 1.7 million more vehicles. They're going to take a $300 million charge to cover ignition switch fix. So, Jim, here's how I'd rather tell that story. Jim is run by a woman, Mary Barra, who's got a family, and... She drives GM vehicles. I would hope that she's doing everything she can to make sure those vehicles are safe because she's putting her family into those vehicles. Now, it, we're going to learn more and more that, you know, some people at GM knew of some problems here and some problems there. And did they do a good enough job getting a recall put into place? So far, their, their recall just jumped from $1.6 million to $3.3 million because they added another $1.7 million cars onto it. And... You know, when you make a car that kills people, that's that's how media is going to report it. Is it safe to get in your GM? Toyota had some problems a couple years back with brake failures. And it was on media in L.A. where basically a cop called his own precinct and was like, you know, I can't stop my vehicle and it's accelerating. And his family of four were wiped out. And it's tragic. Now, a couple years later, and this is where I come in, where I have to do the dirty work that I get chastised for doing. A couple years later, Toyota's put the problem in the rearview mirror, going from $75 a share to 110 GM has an issue similar to what Toyota had. Their stock has come down to the $34 level, and there's something in their stock chart that I like. I'm not a technician. I don't tend to be a technician. I like looking at charts and trying to figure out what was happening. You know, the market pulled back. How did the stock do? On 9-11, how did the stock do? In the 2008 financial crisis, how did the stock do? So I'm taking a look at GM's shares, and back in September, the stock hit 34, rallied to 38. Then it went down to 34. And then it rallies above 38. And technically, that's considered a double bottom. 34, it hit twice. It made a W-looking price action move. So the bottom of the W is the double bottom. 
We're back to 34 after the stock had rallied into the new year up to 40, 42, 43. So it's got a good pullback. So for me, when I'm looking for value in a stock, I'm, I'm saying, okay, am I paying full price? Is it off? Has it showed any level of support? That 34 level is an area where people aren't selling it. For whatever reason, people are saying, you know what? It's not going lower than this. I'm not selling it. Or we've shaken out enough of the weekends, and now we've got a strong base of, of shareholders. It's not quite that easy. Now, adding a little bit more color to this, stocks up today on a day where they've expanded their recall. Sometimes it's the demon known versus the demon unknown. For the company to come out and quantify their costs, it's, it's, it's useful. It gives you a scenario where you get like, okay, demon known. I don't know. I'm not telling you to go buy a GM. I think the dividend's attractive. I think it could rally four, five, six, seven, eight points over a year as it puts some of these problems behind it. Now, again, if they come out with a car that causes cancer and kills people, all bets are off the table. So you get the idea. Housing starts fell, but permits rebound. That's positive. Putin seems to have gotten what he wanted. The world did not. Putin's laughing. His parliament's cheering him. Uh, we'll see. I, I'm not political on that level. All I'd say is that for now, tensions seem to have eased to the point where we're not expecting shots to be fired. And Wall Street's rallying today on that news. Pretty big rally, all things considered. Um, taking a look at the market numbers today, we are close to all-time highs of the S&P 500. You know, we're at 14-year highs on the NASDAQ. The S&P 500's up 8 to, at 1867. The Dow's up 86, sitting at 16,333. The NASDAQ's up 32, sitting at 4312. Again, I'll say one last time, I don't mind doing the dirty work, but cut me some slack that you're not doing it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Don't forget to find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Don't be shy. Interaction's always a good thing. Rob at robblack.com. An event coming up in Santa Clara a couple of Thursdays from now. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. Bob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls in the air. It's eight hundred five one six. 
1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more, whether it be the stock market or some of the top stories of the day. There is a story out there that one-third of Americans who are working have less than $1,000 put away. Very little money tucked away for retirement. That's not going to last you very long. Doesn't take a genius to figure that one out, right? I know you're saying, well, we're taking away your genius card. Most people have little to nothing saved. Um, about 60% of workers have less than 25000 Now, again, you hear surveys like this, and it's time to do something about it. If you went on a vacation this year and you don't have savings, you're going to be the one to blame for a really low quality. And it, it, it's frustrating. Let me Let me stop for just one second. I work in both television and radio, and in television, it used to be a very unionized business. In fact, it, it is still. Now, one of the union workers was telling a newer union worker, yeah, we used to have a 401k, and that went away, and he was actually spouting some things that are actually untrue. Uh, the pension went away. The pension used to be golden, and it still is on some levels. Like, we may want to start rethinking going to college if it's going to cost six figures, and then you're going to go on vacation a lot and not pay back your student debt till you're 40. That person who went to work for the DMV at age 20 with a high school degree, they're probably going to have a much better retirement than you. Now, again, that's shocking to hear. Like, you don't want to hear that. That person at the DMV, you know, the one that always seems to shut down right before your turn. You know, the one that seems to have been with the same person for 45 minutes and is moving at the speed of slow. So, I don't know what advice I would tell children at this point in time, what direction to go. Take on $100,000 of debt and become a teacher, and basic, well, maybe they get a pension. So, the areas that still get pensions, a lot of government workers, there's some value with that, especially if we continue to live as long as we do. Now, again, governments are getting smart and savvy to it, knowing that they can't promise the moon and making workers give up more. So there's no right answer. So that story bleeds into my next story. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. And I was telling my board runner-op guy, number eight, as I like to refer to him lovingly, that what you do last night? Did you go out and party you know, St. Patty's Day? I remember when I was a younger man that it was kind of fun going out on St. Patty's Day and going out on Halloween. Young people, a lot of energy, a lot of charisma, a lot of, you know, uh, just energy. It's like if you hadn't talked to a girl in three months, that was the day to do it because girls seem friendlier. So the next day, though, was always brutal. Remember, like, you'd drag yourself into work or drag yourself to college. Uh, The day after St. Patty's Day is a multi-billion dollar business. Multi-billion dollar business. Uh, The whole idea of getting drunk in public, I don't quite get but I guess it's not for me to get, because this is a multi-billion dollar business. So where does the multi-billion come in? It comes in with drugs, energy drinks, and lost wages. So treating the achy, the woozy, is a multi-billion dollar business. Do you know what our economy would be like better off if instead of like getting a Alka-Seltzer morning relief, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, or there's something called blowfish, which is a drink or something that's designed particularly for hangovers. 
So on average, Reveler spends about $41 celebrating Ireland's National Day. Now, you know, I look at Halloween, and I look at, you know, our pets, and I look at our Christmas spending and some of the absurd things that we do. $41 celebrating Ireland's National Day. 35% of the Revelers go to a bar or nightclub. 32% host or attend a party. Um, green hats, which are not stylish the day before or the day after. So the cost of a hangover is something that I particularly look at and think about. Because it's a, you don't have to have one. And it, it's money that goes out of your pocket that you'll never get back. So a lot of people use Pedialyte or aspirin to treat their hangovers. Americans are pretty creative with Gatorade. Um, sodium and potassium seems to help a lot of people. Um, oxygenated water. I know, it's you can't make some of the stuff up. Drinking Excessive drinking costs the U.S. more than $223 billion annually. That's, again... You know, when you're talking about President Barack Obama doing a stimulus package, how about right there? So $223 billion nationally. Now, that equals in the America's terms $740 per person. There's a stimulus package right there by changing the way we look at alcohol. Again, am I recommending that we go dry? I'm not. But that's a lot of money. Excessive drinking is defined as binge drinking, four or more drinks per occasion, five or more drinks per occasion for a man. If you use high weekly use or you're pregnant, that's excessive drinking, binge drinking. So what do we do? Where's the final financial angle here? Is it potentially more taxes? Is it limiting how many stores in America sell alcohol to make it tougher to find uh, but we have a stimulus right there. We have a more effective job um, track in America. You'd never have the tragedy of losing a child to excessive drinking. Anyway, I, I see. I'll even look at St. Patty's Day as, you know, an angle, financially speaking. I try. Doesn't always work, but I try. So take a look at the market numbers today. We have an up day, and GM gets a big recall today adding more to their recall, and they're up today. Putin is basically saying, thank you for Crimea. Uh, Bye. And he's turning off the microphone. We'll see how this escalates going forward. I don't know. We have a missing airliner. We've got stocks rallying on the Crimea angle. The SP 500 is up 8, sitting at 1867. The Dow is up 77, sitting at 16,324. The NASDAQ is up 34, sitting at 43.14. All pretty attractive um, interday moves. Now, we still have many, many, many hours before the market close. And I really, honestly, if I were to do one thing differently on the show, and I guess I can because no one's stopping me, I would probably say to do something along the lines of, I don't really, I shouldn't really give out market numbers because that's focusing on the wrong thing. So other stories of note, housing starts fell, permits rebound. That's a positive sign for our economy. We should have incrementally good numbers going forward. General Motors recalling 1.7 more million vehicles and stocks up. Talked about that in the fourth segment of the first hour. 
Amazon's going to start shipping some sort of video streaming device, probably along the lines of Roku. It's interesting to pay attention to, like, Apple. Will they ever come out with an Apple TV? People are starting to think not. And Roku seems to be best positioned as a third-party, yeah, you want to stream content to your TV? We'll let you do it HBO Go. We'll let you do it Netflix. We'll let you do it Apple, whoever. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You can to Rob Black and your money. You can find me online at robblack.com. Got a big event coming up a couple Thursdays from now in Santa Clara on retirement income, dividend achievers. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. AM 1220, half a percent to 16,323. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested and more. A couple stories that all bleed into each other today. Amazon says they're going to start shipping a video streaming device in April. That's right around the corner. So there's Roku. There's the Apple TV product, which should be refreshed soon. There's Samsung, who they make the Samsung phone, right? The Galaxy that everyone either loves or hates. It's a big screen. Apple's coming out with a big screen this year. Analysts are starting to up their expectations and estimates on that. So the likelihood that Apple will have a bad quarter is increasing because of new products coming down the road. That's one of the issues with technology, is once you announce the next great thing, people wait for it. Apple has to juggle that. Now, Samsung makes phones that are competitive, right? And we're talking about Amazon. They're going to start doing a video streaming device that hooks up. Like right now, I have a Roku as well as an Apple TV product. And and I'll be honest with you. I think Roku's a lot more robust. And I think until there's a company like Apple who's willing to acquire a company like a Disney, until you can get the content somehow, some way, some shape, some form in a predictable area... Uh, in a very known way, it's going to be a tough business to crack. Okay, so Amazon's going to be shipping a device. No one really expects it to change the world. But what is changing the world is more and more Americans are watching television through YouTube. More and more Americans are watching television through Facebook. Uh, Or I guess what I'm trying to say is we're not watching television. We're getting our content, our entertainment, in a lot of separate areas. You know, every day that I get home after work, I instantly turn on Pandora. And that's not cool because I work for a radio group, right? That's not cool because I work for a TV group. It's like, uh, that's the, the habits of people are changing pretty aggressively. Now, this show could be heard on iHeartRadio, another form of distribution that's not historically the norm. So I guess I'm talking about distribution, this segment. There's a survey out that Time Warner is, well, a survey was done about HBO. And you know HBO, The Sopranos and Sex and the City and Girls, um, which is a pretty cleverly written show. And if you don't see that, it's a shame, because writing is really what's done cable television very, very well in the last 10 years, whether it be Breaking Bad or, you know, random HBO shows that time after time after time they seem to put together good teams. Not all of them, but most of them. Um, So non-subscribers would be willing to pay for HBO Go, but not HBO. 
So there was a broadband-only subscriber survey. And 44% said that they would want HBO Go. What's interesting is a lot of people already have Netflix, and they would see it as a, these two work together. So we're kind of seeing, and HBO is at some point in time going to be able to get away from cable. Right now they have a, you know, Comcast or Verizon Fiber to the Street. Right now there is a need for the guys who can deliver the content, the pipes, the roads, but not for very much longer. And, again, this goes back to the the concept of why would Comcast be allowed to buy Time Warner Cable? Why would the two biggest cable companies be allowed to merge? It's because things are changing fast. And I can envision a day, and I'm not there, but I should be, and it's just pure laziness for me. Why do I have 900 digital channels? I don't get it. Seriously, I watch 15. I can envision a day very soon where it's Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Go, oh, I like hockey, NHL package. So you get to the point where your a la carte starts adding up, right? Baseball package. But if those costs maintain their, their, what they are now, 150 bucks for every single hockey game of the year, I think I could live with that. You know, that's one month of cable, 150 bucks for all the baseball games. I think I could live with that. And then piece together the three services that are currently 10 to 15 bucks. And that's cheaper than, that, that saves me about six months of cable. It saves me about $700, $800 easy. So we're getting there. Then there was also a story out there today about Viacom and Google settling a YouTube copyright suit that goes way, 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 way back. Uh, Viacom was basically trying to set up a precedent on rebroadcasting. Viacom and CBS, they don't hate. YouTube, they see them as a partner. Clearly, they could both benefit from exposing each other's content to and use a platform to each other. But they wanted a precedent from the court to basically stop other companies from posting, you know, Cartman illegally. Viacom has official channels on YouTube, so that whole case is basically gone and over with. But it did bring up, like, who is going to police all of this? How is it going to look? What's going to look like? Uh, so Samsung, I want to get back to Samsung real quick here, kind of working in a big circle. They've got the smart TV, and I got a Samsung wireless TV a couple of years ago. Didn't like it, hated it. The apps were way too slow. I have to imagine they're figuring that out and, and improving it. Now, down the road, if it's going to be a Samsung wireless TV and it's going to have everything that Roku has, it's going to work for me. If it's going to have very limited features or be slow, or lock me into their apps, it's not going to work for me. Now, the TV is a horrible business, and that's probably why Apple hasn't gotten into it. But Samsung's very well positioned because they're already selling TVs that I think are better than Sony's now. So they're in an attractive position, but it's a bad business. So it's really the software that's really, really important. That's somewhere that Apple doesn't get enough recognition for their software is the best in the business for operating systems. Google's good, and Google's got, you know, cute apps. There's no doubt about it. But I think the user interface on Apple products, by far the best experience overall. And even on the Apple TV versus the Roku, it's not close. Apple crushes it. Now, Samsung's in the bad position of selling TVs that, okay, so that smart, you know, they got the wireless app thing built into the TV. 
in five years from now, what's that going to look like? And we typically keep our TVs five to ten years, right? I'd like to think we do. I've had mine six, seven now, and it feels old. So if you go back five, ten years and see the evolution of like something like a Facebook or an AOL to Facebook, time flies pretty fast. But things change aggressively fast in technology and user experiences. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. It's going to be a huge, huge battleground, uh, the television and the car. And again, the television's a bad business model because in the end we're like, I can only pay 600 for a TV or 700 for a TV or 400 for a TV. There's a number where you're like, I can't do that. That's too much. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone, give me a call, and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. So I've got a top five list for you. I don't think the bull market's anywhere near over. Now I need to be careful on how I say that. I, when I say anywhere near... Things can change. And no one saw Russia and Ukraine becoming an issue. No one. On our top ten predictions for the year, no one had that one. But the bull market is a market that's been going up now for five years. There's been a month or two here or there that hasn't been attractive. The length of the bull market, some people point out that very few bull markets extend to five years. But cycles of this length are not unprecedented, with at least three of the last ten bull markets reaching the five-year mark. So it's not unprecedented. Another thing that I like about this market is valuation and earnings. Current valuations, current multiples that we're putting on companies, if you like a company for price-to-sales ratio of two, three, four, if you like a company because of price-to-earnings ratios, Price to earnings versus growth. Current price multiples are only slightly above historical norms, and they're below levels witnessed at prior peaks. Earnings growth has staged an impressive rebound in the recent months. And longer term, we continue to say that the job market's improving, so we're adding to our our longer-term projections on an upside. Corporate guidance, which is interesting to watch. Negative profits outlooks spook some investors, but... Dividend actions suggest that corporate management remains confident with their longer-term outlooks. When you're seeing a large swath of S&P 500 companies raise their dividends, you never really want to take that dividend away. You want to be able to maintain cash flows so that you can continue to pay out that amount of cash to your shareholders or more. And by them upping their dividends, it's attractive. Market internals, while defensive sectors are leading market performances lately, there's still very broad participation across the market. 
So it's not like we're hiding out in one sector. Most of the sectors are doing nicely. Now, defensive sectors are like telecommunications and utilities. They're defensive because we need our phones and we need, uh, you know, our electricity. An electrical grid's under attack by Elon Musk, and that's going to be fun to watch. But other sectors are doing well, too, of the market. And finally, one of the reasons I think this market still has a little bit of legs is fund flow activity. The recent flow into equity funds has caused some concern that people are, like, you know, sending too much money into one area. I guess the word I was looking for was funneling. When you consider longer-term fund flow measurement periods, like three years, short-term it looks like they're throwing a lot of money in, but in the last three years it's, it's very, very negative. People were on the sidelines for a very long period of time. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. We have the SP500 up 8. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 86, just off its intraday high. And the NASDAQ up 40. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, talking a little Roth conversions. This is getting more and more media press. This is getting more and more talk in the financial planning community. What is a Roth conversion? Why do we want to think about it and consider it? Well, let me tell you the, the part where you really need to consider it the most and then a couple of other circumstances. The, the biggest point in time of your life where you really need to look at the Roth conversion is between retirement date and that age 70 and a half. Because what most people are finally realizing is that at 70 and a half, you're forced to pull money out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403Ps, 403Bs, even if you don't want to. You're forced to pull money out. And so people have a very low tax bracket. Let's say they retire at 65 to 70, and then all of a sudden their tax bracket blows up, and they have no control over it. And so one of the things that you – those that retire with diversified asset bases, in other words, they have cash, they have uh, taxable accounts, brokerage funds, brokerage accounts with stocks and funds and ETFs, and pre-tax retirement accounts is what you can do is maximize your existing brackets by doing small Roth conversions – to maximize your tax bracket each year. So, in other words, there's a huge limit at the at the 15% to 20% toward 25% bracket where if you're a person you always know you're going to be at the 25% marginal bracket and you talk to your CPA in November and you say how much more income can I have at this bracket? And they say, "Well, you could have another $30,000 and you'd still be at the 25% marginal bracket." Well, that person, if they're always going to be at that bracket, should consider converting 30000 of their IRA into a Roth IRA so that they start that clock on, the, on having a tax-free account. And even if you do a small amount, you, you put it into account, that five-year time clock starts at the first conversion. If you're over 59 and a half, it's just that, that, that clock starts ticking on the first conversion. You don't have to redo it on the last conversion. So really maximizing your bracket, creating that tax-free account, it does two things. It gives you a tax-free account for the rest of your life, and it gives you an account that you can leave to your kids that they can continue tax-free growth for, growth for the rest of their lives. And it reduces the amount of forced taxable income you have at age 70 and a half. The key, though, is, is that when you do these Roth conversions, you have to have cash on the sidelines to pay the taxes. You can't pay the taxes out of the account that you convert. Okay. You want to make even more... Complicated by telling you a cool rule. Oh, God. See, I was going to ask you to make things simpler. Because what you just said, I think most people are intimidated by. Comparing tax brackets and doing this and doing that. It's pretty intimidating what you just threw out. 
You know, retirement is intimidating. Retirement takes some education, it takes some work, and it takes some planning. You can't just pull the trigger and just do it. Um, you know, you give exo- examples of Social Security by maximizing that by doing the file and suspend options where you can get a couple hundred thousand dollars out of Social Security that you didn't think you could get. Same thing with tax brackets. You have to know what a marginal bracket is and be able to have an accountant or CPA that does modeling for you or works with your financial advisor to do it. Um, the great thing about a Roth conversion is you have until October 15th of next year to change your mind. So let's say you decide, I'm going to convert $50,000 of my IRA to a Roth, right? You've paid the taxes based on $50,000. The next year you have 2009, right? 2008, 2009 type of a year. And you go, oh, great, my account's worth 30 but I paid taxes at 50 right? You can, by October 15th of the next year, recharacterize, change your mind, and reverse the deal and then go back and do it again at a much lower tax consequence. So you knowing the rules and knowing that once you do it, you still have to monitor the success of the account, uh, it's pretty important. It's a good part of retirement plan that people should think about. So what's the first step in that? The first step is saying, okay, am I somebody that should consider it? And that is that do you have cash on the sidelines? Okay. So if you don't have any cash to pay the taxes with, Right. It's not for you. Okay. Um, second, do you have a long-term cash flow projection that includes tax projections? Because that's the only way that you have the ability to look at it and say, what's my tax bracket going to be like now versus age 70 and a half when I have to start pulling money out of my IRAs? Um, you know, if you're always going to be at a very low bracket, then it might not be for you either. But if you have an IRA that you probably won't use and you want to leave it to your grandkids... That's really for you, because then you're leaving them a tax-free account. So if you have a 401k right now with $100,000 in it, and you're 35 years old, and you have an extra $30,000 laying around, that's going to basically cover most of your taxes. You, can't, there, you are starting to see plans that will allow in-plan 401k conversions to the in-plan Roth account. Okay. I never recommend those, Why? because in that situation, you can't change your mind by October 15th. But what if you're sure you want to do it? it I still don't recommend it. Um, now, start funding the Roth 401k side, maybe, if you're at a low bracket. But yeah. 30000 that's not much on the sidelines. You need six months' worth of expenses and sa- save money, and you need to start building outside retirement account assets by investing in total stock market funds and things like that. So I would say for most of the time when people are in a basic situation where they're still working and earning a lot, I don't often recommend Roth conversions. Okay. It's those situations where that between retirement and 70 and a half, that works. Somebody goes on sabbatical or takes some time off and they're at an unusually low tax bracket for a year or two, that works. Or a grandma doesn't use her IRA, she wants to leave it to her grandkids, that works. Thanks very much. That's CFP Chad Burton. If you want to explore this with him, contact him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. And you can listen to his show as heard here daily from 1 to 2 p.m. on KDOW, the new Focus on Wealth. I'm Rob Black, and that's Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. There was a news helicopter crash in Seattle. It's weird. I know you're saying, careful. It's weird to see a helicopter not in the air or destroyed. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. During just that Seattle News helicopter crash, two are dead. Third is in critical condition. There was a car accident report that 
I just heard during our last break, and basically a multiple car collision chain reaction. If you've got a wife and kids, or if you have children, you need some life insurance. Because you never know when something's going to surprise you, like a helicopter or a chain reaction. President Barack Obama is organizing a G7 summit on the Ukraine. He's organizing a meeting of the group of seven leaders as a response to Russia's actions in Ukraine. Basically, it looks like it should be over. As Putin said, thank you for giving us back our Crimea land. Talk to you soon. You're listening to me, Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Term life insurance isn't that expensive. Find me online at robblack.com. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Let's go to a quick call. we got Raj in Foster City. Uh, Rob, my question is on the uh, Roth IRA that you're talking about. Sure. So um, can you talk a little bit about the backdoor uh, Roth? The specific uh, situation is... I have a rollover IRA in which I have around uh, 10,000. And then I have a traditional IRA that I put in like 5,500. And I convert that uh, 5,500 into Roth. Okay, thanks for the call. A backdoor Roth IRA is something that Chad and I were talking about a little earlier in the show. A backdoor Roth is a technique for contributing to a Roth IRA when your income exceeds the contribution limit. There's no income limit on contributing to a non-deductible traditional IRA, nor on converting a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. To ultimately do a backdoor contribution, you have to make a regular contribution to a traditional or your IRA, and you've already done that. So it's, if you have... This is where it gets complicated and where radio doesn't terribly work always well. If you have any other non-Roth IRAs, the taxable portion of any conversion you make is prorated over all your IRAs. You can't convert just the non-deductible amount. In order to benefit from the back door, you must either convert your other IRAs as well, which may not be a good idea as you're usually in a high tax bracket if you've got the option to use the back door. Or you have to transfer your deductible IRA contributions to an employer plan, such as a 401k, which may cost you if the 401k has bad investment options. An example, if you have just created an IRA, like you said you had $10,000 in, let's just change it to 5000 or you add 5000 non-deductible contributions to it, you'd likely convert the IRA to a Roth via the back door. If you have a traditional IRA with 15000 in deductible pre-tax contributions, the contributions may come uh, from your 401k rollover. So it gets kind of complicated. To compute the tax due, you take you have to have the, the numbers all in your head and not in mine. 5000 you need to divide it by 20000 and it's a $5,000 IRA. That's the total value of your traditional IRAs when you add them together, the 15000 and the 5000 
to get the percentage of the conversion that will be tax-free. In this case, it's 25%. Therefore, the other 75% of your conversion is 3750 bucks. It doesn't make for good radio. I'd work with a financial advisor, a CFP, at the, when the time is right. Um, the percentage of the amount you'll be, you're computing for the tax-free conversion, uh, you have to take the amount that you're going to convert and divide it by both adding up the amount that you're going to convert and the balances of all pre-tax IRAs. And there you have it. I think everyone's confused now. And if not, you will be soon enough. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Biggest mistakes I want people to avoid is waiting to the last minute. I'm glad Raj is thinking about going the Roth way in large part because he'll know his tax consequences. A million dollars will be a million dollars. And not, you know, how much is going to the state, how much is going to federal. So if you wait to the last minute, that's the biggest mistake you can make in all things financial. You don't need to necessarily be right. For instance, should you have a Roth or should you have a traditional IRA? And you could be savvy and own a little bit of both. A lot of mistakes people make when it comes to IRAs is they make a non-deductible IRA contribution for the long run. The trouble is non-deductible traditional IRAs have never been particularly useful vehicles, even for high-income savers. A lot of people's biggest mistakes when it comes to finances is they're paralyzed by the rules and by the analysis, and they don't work with someone because they're trying to do it themselves. So I'm not saying you should work with someone. I'm saying you should, you know, think about it. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. I'm still contributing to my retirement, and I will be for the foreseeable future. I don't see a reason not to. Uh... Let's say I don't make it. Let's say I'm slated to be on this earth one more day and all that saving was for naught, and I probably should have traveled. I probably should have exploited some of my gains, but not not for me. One of the investors that I like is a guy named Jeremy Grantham, and I just like the way he thinks. One of the things he says is, like, yeah, 65% of stocks are overpriced. Which is interesting. He doesn't think we're in a bubble. He says if we go up another 30%, we'd be in a bubble. He thinks the Fed is reinforcing professionals. And that we're late in the bull market. There's no doubt of it. But how late is... He'll bring up that question. How much more can it go till it's it's ridiculous? He thinks 30%. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. We have an up market today in a day where Russia basically signed the paperwork to own Crimea. I know you're saying that's odd to say out loud, isn't it? I think the downside on the whole Crimea-Russia thing is it shows China how you can play the international markets. You want something you used to have? Take it. So Obama's organizing a G7 summit. That'll create a little market risk, for sure, political risk. Citigroup was fined $1.1 million for legal short selling. $1.1 million. That's nothing. Anyhow, you can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Got a big event coming up in Santa Clara. Retirement pillars, as well as dividend income achievers that I'll go over. 
You can sign up for the event a couple Thursdays from now. Santa Clara at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.